Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hola, 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 Kingston, hola, mundo en general. Here we are. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Hola, Nick Leiber. Hola, Guillermo Fester. Here we are with uh, Lisa in the Lisa, other... Lisa, quién? Lisa Botón, María Luisa Botón. Ah, Lisa nuestra, Button. <laughs> nuestra corresponsal Hi. en Boston. Hi, María Luisa. Hola, María Luisa Botón, ¿cómo estás? <laughs> De lo más bien, gracias. <laughs> bueno, eh... Uh, We're going to talk today about something that I think is very moving for everybody who's in this studio right now. Uh, we're going back and forth from Spanish to English, from English to Spanish for one reason, is because we live in a country where we have emotions in both languages. Uh, we talk about stuff that happened in, uh, you know, in our family in Spanish, and we have to usar español, porque ¿cómo vas a explicar lo que sientes en español en otro idioma? Pero luego tenemos amigos que they speak English and we go to uh, English or we work in English and we have to uh, use the language because how you translate uh, what you feel in the office or what you feel with your friends. Uh, into millones, a y hay millones de, de personas que están, que es su vida, así, entre dos, dos ríos, entre dos mundos y lo hacen así. They lo go que, back and forth between Spanish and English. Lo que ocurre es que siempre pensamos cuando hablamos de latinos o de hispanos, la definición general dice que hispano es el que habla español, latino el que viene de Latinoamérica, who knows, uh, quizás sea una emoción y cada uno eh, puede decir lo que quiera y ser hispano, ser latino, ser estadounidense o ser lo que le dé la gana. El caso es que hay mucha gente que va del español al inglés y muchas veces hablamos mm, de este concepto y pensamos que es gente que acaba de llegar, gente que está llegando, gente que lleva aquí tres semanas, gente que se está incorporando a Estados Unidos... Uh, mi lucha, mi deseo, uh, mi interés mm, como ser humano que vive en Estados Unidos y habla dos idiomas es que la gente sepa que cuando Estados Unidos se formó, las dos terceras partes del territorio actual de Estados Unidos estaban ocupados por gente que hablaba español. Mi interés es que la gente sepa que sin un ejército de gente latina y latino hablamos, por ejemplo, de muchos dominicanos de raza negra, ¿eh? Eh, mientras estaban esclavizados en las colonias, estaban luchando eh, libremente por salvar el trasero a George Washington. Sin esa gente, sin la colaboración de esa gente, sin el dinero de esa gente, sin los uniformes de esa gente, sin la munición que dio esa gente, sin las medicinas que donó esa gente, este país nunca hubiera sido Estados Unidos de América. Entonces, eh, estamos aquí, entre otras cosas, en Don't Interrupt Me, por favor, try to recoup the legacy and try to uh, change the narrative of the Latinos in the U.S. because we belong to this country as many uh, and as anybody else's. So, Nick Leiber, we have a guest here to start the show who knows much more than any of us about that issue. Well, we have, we have a Guy Garcia with us in the studio today. And Guy is, what, essentially what he's going to do is he's going to tie all of this complicated stuff up into a neat very understandable package, present it with a bow, and we're all going to walk away from the show understanding everything about Latinos in the United States. Um, well, we might not understand everything, but we are going to start to understand 
how the narrative is changing and Guy's role in changing the narrative about Latinos in the USA. Guy is a longtime journalist, author, entrepreneur. He's had his hand in many seminal events in the understanding of Latinos in the U.S. In un pelo de artista de Hollywood que También. tira para atrás. Yeah. En fin, es un, es un tipo elegante, sencillo, a la par que valiente. Hello, Guy. Uh, thank Hello. you for being on our show. Hello. Uh, so you've been a journalist doing all that stuff that uh, Nick has, has been saying for many years. What is the motivation? Why uh, Guy Garcia one day decided, you know what? I have to be part of this story because I have to change the narrative. What was the narrative and what was the motivation that you... Made uh, jump into the arena. I guess it, it started for me. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I grew up in a very multicultural neighborhood. One of my best friends was uh, Russian. Uh, another one was Japanese. You know, there were uh, a good population of Latinos. Everybody got along great. So I, I thought that's how the whole world was <laughs> when I was growing up in Montebello, California. Uh, and then I came to New York to go to uh, Columbia Journalism School in the early 80s and uh, uh, eventually ended up at Time Magazine well, you know, very quickly after that as a staff writer. And uh, I noticed there were things going on uh, that nobody else was paying attention to, uh, and I would write about it. So whether it was uh, Edward James Olmos or, uh, you know, uh, a rock band uh, with roots in Latin America or, you know, DJs cro crossing the border, I would, uh, I would suggest the stories and, and they would accept it. And after a while, I, I came to realize uh, if I hadn't been there, I don't think they would have covered, like, Los Lobos. Like, they didn't really know about it. Or they would have been much... Can you later. imagine missing Los Lobos? Yeah. Oh, man, uh, I remember when Los Lobos uh, came with La Bamba in Spain. The whole country went crazy. And in 1998, uh, I wrote the cover story on the, the rise of uh, what was called uh, Latino culture um, and the way they made it. It's a, and the, the tagline was, uh, Latino culture breaks out of the barrio. So I was very proud to write the cover story and spend time with Edward James Olmos, who was the cover subject. But the tagline, <laughs> I did not write. And the, uh, the way they talked about it, uh, you know, the, the Latino culture breaks out of the bar. It sounded like King Kong or something, you know, coming out and attacking uh, the rest of the country. Uh, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way, but, uh, and, and at the time, uh, it was the early stages of recognition of the influence of Latino culture on U.S. culture. So that was the, the first step of it. And I continued to do that uh, in uh, my contributions to uh, the New York Times, uh, whether it was about music or Alfonso Curran or, you know, any, any number of uh, people who uh, deserved attention. And uh, we're going to talk to Maria Hinojosa pretty soon. And she was also, she was at CNN during those, we were kind of the siblings through that media uh, cauldron of uh, Time Incorporated and, and, and collaborated in lots of different ways. Um, And we both were, you know, on, a, on an unofficial team to kind of uh, make sure that stories and the image of Latinos was was being represented, even as it continued to evolve. Veo que hay mucha gente. Lisa, adelante. Sorry to interrupt there. Sorry. Oh, go. Interrupt me, por favor. Por favor. Yeah. How many do you think were among you besides you and Maria? You know, what would you say? Lisa, that was my question. You know, uh, thanks a lot for... 
That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there were just a handful of us. Um, I Actually, think I have a question. How many of you? <laughs> <laughs> there were uh, there were few enough. Uh, if if uh, some of you know the uh, uh, Christina Garcia, the the novelist, right. she was a reporter at the time, at at Time Magazine, and uh, when I was a staff writer, so they would send her paychecks to me, <laughs> assuming. There were, that there could only be two Latinos with the last name of Garcia. They had to be married, and uh, some, somehow <laughs> nepotism or <laughs> they, I, I was responsible for her. So I would I would. So you were happily cashing her checks, huh? Uh, w- once in a while, <laughs> but most most of the time I delivered them to her, and we became good friends. And, Isn't it uh, funny that they? Uh, uh, I mean, there's so many Garcias in this country, right? But back then, it was just happening. Okay. I mean, yes. Okay. Garcias, there, hay muchos de nosotros, okay. but. Uh, that, you know, kind of like Smith in English, really. Yeah, exactly. Do you jump into the big media as saying, hey, I'm Latino, or you just jump into the big media, these guys, and then one you were inside, you were saying, yeah. by, the, by the way, I'm Latino. It, it was more the latter, because uh, I had uh, already worked as a freelancer in uh, on the West Coast. I, I went to UC Berkeley and was the arts editor at the paper and, and then started freelancing. And... You know, I applied to Time Magazine uh, after I got my graduate degree in journalism at Columbia, so that got me to New York, and uh, and then they they hired me as a staff writer. So, like I said, I, I didn't go in with an agenda, but I, I I I was just reflecting my own interests, which ran the whole spectrum of of cultural reality in the U.S., which to me included Latinos, Latino bands, Latino interesting. Uh, people making the news in politics and music uh, and and all of the above, and I just noticed, almost backhandedly, that you know I started to realize, well, gee, if I hadn't brought that up, would that have happened? You know, when I suggested Alfonso Arau to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Andy Warhol's Interview magazine, w- would anybody else have done that? Probably not. So uh, at that point, it was uh, my mission was to help to make sure that the that the conversation included Latinos in major media uh, and Maria was doing the same thing but at the same time the 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 evolution of of Latino identity was also changing but the identity must be something uh, complicated what I'm saying is like okay you're here now you know who you are uh, you want to change the narrative of Latinos you're American you you feel very comfortable in English we're speaking English here uh, right, right. Uh, it's part of your reality. It's actually your reality. You know that you can share both, and God bless you. Mm. But it, there's not a point growing up where you wonder who you are. We wonder if you have to abandon the Latino thing and melt into the uh, English-speaking world that is like the cool world uh, versus the B, you know, Latino second level. Well, I think there was a time in the 70s and 80s where it was like that, but now Latino culture is the cool world. You know, oh, my friends well, at Remescla and other places. Uh, but that evolution, uh, you know, I noticed when I was a co-founder of an internet after I left time, we launched uh, a website and eventually I became the head of AOL Latino and, uh, and launched AOLs around Latin America and, and also launched the first uh, Hispanic website for, for AOL. Um, and, and that was... Uh, you know, a sign of coming change and and the uh, the evolution of Hispanic identity. For me, I always saw myself as both. Um, at Ethnofacts, it's uh, research uh, and um, multicultural insights 
firm that I'm a partner at, uh, you know, this whole idea of ambiculturalism, of being 100% both. So the idea of, uh, you know, the, 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 the pocho, the Latino, the, the half of this and half of that, um, in the research, in the culture, and increasingly in, in our lives, we see that Latinos uh, are fully empowered as Latinos and fully empowered as Americans. Aquí estamos como un programa bilingüe, no estamos peleándonos el inglés y el español, somos no estamos la, diciendo las dos cosas. Somos sí. las dos cosas yeah. y por qué vamos a negar ninguna. ¿Qué dices Nick Leiber? Casi todos los días voy entre no tengo más remedio que, que ir navegando en mi vida profesional mm. y de vez en cuando en mi vida personal, las estos dos o tres o cuatro mundos. Sí. It's the same. Mm. It's happening. Hola Mariano Cosa, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, muy bien. Desde Harlem, Nueva York, no tan lejos. Desde Harlem, Nueva York. Bueno, está bonito Harlem, Nueva York, ¿no? Tiene un shuffle impresionante. Uh, it also has sí. a, fu a futuro media group. Así yep, es. Yep, yep. Señor, señorita Hinojosa, estás invitada con nosotros, es un honor. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí, porque eres pionera en intentar eh, decirle a la gente que los latinos pertenecemos a esta cultura, que somos parte de esta cultura, que somos hilos de este tejido que se llama Estados Unidos de Norteamérica. Y nos gustaría empezar por el principio, antes de que vayamos con Guy García viendo cómo se va mezclando vuestra historia. ¿Por qué María Hinojosa un día dice, sabes qué, voy a dejar de estar viendo a los toros desde la barrera y voy a saltar al ruedo? En términos de salir a la luz y, y, y decir que yo voy a contar la historia de los latinos que nadie nadie más cuenta. Sí, pero ¿sabes qué? Que no, en, en mi caso no pasó así. O sea, yo empecé como con... No, no sabía que yo podía ser periodista para empezar. Entonces, lo que pasa es de que when you grow up in this country and you don't see any Latino or Latina journalists around you... Mm -hmm. Um, then you really don't think it's possible. That's why my friendship with Guy is so fascinating because I was reading Guy when I was, I don't remember exactly, Guy, what the years were, but I was reading Guy before I was kind of a working journalist. And I just, you know, I was like, wow, that's Guy Garcia. Is he like uh, a real uh, heavy-duty Latino? Like, does he know what his raíces are? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, check him out. Look what he's writing about. Yeah. That was very inspirational. But there was no, there were no Latinas that I knew of. So basically, I started doing college radio, which is very similar to what you guys are doing now. Um, I was doing un programa que se, se llamaba, y se llama, sigue presente, because the students brought it back. Um, it's called Nueva Canción y Demás, and I started it in 1980. Okay. Um, and it was La Nueva Canción, La Nueva Trova. It was interviews with people, artists, activists in the community, in New York, in the Latino community in the early 1980s. And it was there that I began to realize that what I was doing was not just a college radio show, but actually I was doing budding journalism. And then, you know, the, the real role models that I started to see were women in Mexico, who, de donde yo soy, who were doing journalism. And then there were other Latinos and Latinas who I began to see Um, here in the United States, including Guy and other women, and that kind of... But I basically had to be pushed to it, which is what I find a lot of... Uh, sadly, a lot of young Latinx right now still, because I'm a, I'm a visiting fellow at, um, at Harvard as well as at DePaul University in Chicago, and you still see a lot of our young people battling imposter syndrome, feeling like they don't belong... Eh, batallando con, con su identidad, eso, eso de la pregunta que, you know, do you have to choose? And I, I I'm completely against this notion of choosing. Mm. I think that what we have to choose is to, is to be our authentic selves. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And our authentic selves are telling us that we can be we can be multiple identities in one person. Yep. Yep. And that that is in fact what the freedom is if we talk about a kind of entre comillas freedom in the United States to identify yourself. Um, it is we have to take that by the the horns, right? And just say no in that case. Well, yes, I'm solidly born in Mexico and proud Mexican. But, you know, I'm a Chicagoan from the south side. I'm a little bit Jewish because I grew up in a Jewish community. Um, my husband is from the Caribbean. He's Afro-Taino. My kids identify. My daughter identifies as Afro-Latina. Um, I live in Harlem. I'm very close to the African-American community. I definitely identify with my immigrant roots. I'm, I'm also a journalist. I'm very spiritual you know, slightly Buddhist, slightly Santera. I mean, it's like, do you understand? <laughs> like, there's so, ma- there's so much to us, and there is no reason why, um, why we have to, quote-unquote, choose. And our, our young people are fighting with this because there is so much, um, so many mixed messages, if you will, being lightly, um, if not direct attacks against Latinos and Latinas now. Maria. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion. I'm going to interrupt you, por favor. But do, don't you think younger people are are more comfortable with this intercultural reality and, and their identities? Uh, uh, there's less of a conflict. Don't, don't you think in the last 20 or 30 years we've turned a corner, uh, at least with the younger generations, where they're, they're okay with being uh, Latino and American or any number of other influences, and, and they're not ashamed of it, or, you know, you look at the new uh, people in the Congress, uh, young people in the Congress who seem, you know, very proud about being more than one thing. Aren't you, aren't you optimistic about that? I'm totally optimistic about it, um, but, but I also still hear those kinds of issues from my students. Hmm. Um, I think many of them, if they're in college and they're taking my classes, they're on the path to being hyper-aware as, you know, as very open-minded Latinx who don't have a problem with kind of code-switching and feeling totally powerful in it. But I think they're, I think sadly because of the messaging and, and, and frankly a presidential candidate and president who has made it his business to consistently attack people who look like us all of the time, it gets confusing. And I, I think, you know, we have to acknowledge if we're going to talk about Latinos and Latinas writ large, which is always complicated, but if we're going to do that, we have to acknowledge that, you know, let's say about 20%, más o menos, if mm. not a little bit more, uh, Latinos and Latinas voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Maria, you, you have brought the, the real hard investigative news um, having to do with so many issues that affect the entire fabric of the United States, but at the same time, you know, helping to put a spotlight on issues that affect Latinos and giving voice to them. For example, with your Futuro Media Group, your new fellowship for podcasters. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners, because they're listening to our podcast, something about that. Right. So, so you're right. I'm, I'm super proud. Lo que pasa es de que, eh, para hacerlo cortito, o sea, llega un momento en cuando uno entiende que tenemos privilegio y ese privilegio para mí significa una responsabilidad y esa responsabilidad se me manifestó a mí como periodista. 
Eh, entonces, eh, sí, trabajé para otra gente, fui la primera corresponsal latina en, en NPR, en CNN, en PBS, y después lo que pasa es de que yo decido formar mi propia compañía eh, y lanzarme en crear una, una organización que está dedicada a, a cambiar, la, a, a corregir la narrativa, ¿no? Eh, entonces sucede de que it turns out that I actually am the only Latina that is running a non-profit newsroom in the United States. Um, and I, I do that because I really feel like some of us need to be kind of uh, uh, creating our own voice in our own territory. And that's what we're trying to show. So as we're growing, different projects are presenting themselves and we're presenting different projects like the podcast lab um, that is going on in Boston. So what we decided is that we, we want to get into communities that are not usually Um, don't usually have access to los materiales para hacer, por ejemplo, audio o aprender cómo hacer podcasting. Y en Boston empezamos este proyecto del Podcast Lab, el laboratorio, donde pueden solicitar para ser parte del equipo. Es bastante competitivo, pero bueno, lo que nos interesa es que, que la gente aprenda a contar sus propias historias y aprender cómo producir podcasting y radio y audio. And it was kind of incredible because we were actually, it's a fellowship, so you actually get paid to learn how to do podcasting. We are attempting to replicate this. Um, it was very successful in, in Boston. We started very small. And um, the people who we had were people from teenagers to 70 years old who wanted to tell their stories. And I, yeah, so we're, we're growing that project as part of Futuro Media because I think What we understand, apart from Latino USA, which is our, our signature podcast, um, and our other podcast, In the Thick, um, which is our politics podcast, we understand that it is our responsibility, actually, and part of our job, to teach others. Eh, enseñarle a la gente cómo hacer esto, o sea, más o menos aprender a pescar. Darle herramientas, darle herramientas. No, claro. las herramientas, no para que... Y no es fácil, óyeme, tampoco quiero decir, ay, no, todo el mundo quiere hacer un podcast. No, 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 no es fácil. Es algo que toma mucho trabajo, pero bueno, en la vida es mucho trabajo, ¿no? Entonces, bueno, este, es que vete a pescar, pero, vete a pescar, le das una caña a un tío o a una chica y no es que coge el pez, vete a pescar, y yo que soy pescador, te puedes tirar horas y volver sin trucha. O sea que, claro, les das exacto, las herramientas, exacto. pero luego el esfuerzo y el talento, cada uno lo que puede, ¿no? Exacto, exacto. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ¿Qué pasa aquí? ¿Qué está pasando? ¿Qué está ocurriendo? ¿Qué ideas hay en la cabeza que bulle por aquí? Guy García, ¿qué piensas, Eva? Yo quiero uh, hablar de 
latinas en, en la nación y con cómo están más uh, visi, visibles, ¿Visibles? Y, yeah. y, y también más um, poderosas well, más, más presentes en la, en, en la en la sociedad yeah and and Maria you just came back from hanging out with some of our mutual friends and you know this is a, a parallel progress I think of, of women rising across uh, races and age groups um, and and you're part of that um, you want to talk a little bit about that you mean the event that we were just at that I was just at yeah the event is just one, one example of other things that are happening <laughs> but yeah let's start let's start with that Well, look, I mean, la verdad es que fue súper como un sueño porque me nombraron en People en Español, la revista People en Español, que fue creada y published por la querida Lisa Quiroz, que en paz descanse. Eh, entonces, esta revista, revista People en Español, la idea era, pues, tomar una, una revista que era súper popular en inglés y decir, we want it in Spanish, right? Y fue un súper éxito... Y bueno, Lisa eh, fue parte de todo esto. Lisa fue una compañera que este, nos abrió las puertas, la, las puertas a muchas y aparte con mucho cariño. Creo que fue lo que sentimos con Lisa, Mu mucho, mucho cariño. Mientras que era una mujer muy poderosa poderosa dentro de del mundo de los, me de los medios de comunicación. So people in Espanol um, does this thing every year now where they um, name the 25 most powerful Latinas. And um, I was just named. So on ole, Friday, ole, 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 ole. <laughs> Felicidades. Felicidades. Aplausos. You're so cute. Ole, ole. Eso, eso. So, yeah, so that was really cool. And, um, you know, just being in a space where it's, you know, powerful Latinas who are being very honest, porque creo que lo otro, you know, I think part of what we do is that we really uh, are very honest with each other to say, no, all of us are battling insecurities, right? Every single, certainly all of the Latinas están batallando con sus demonios y las inseguridades. It's just that what, what some of us are trying to say is that our sense of why we have to do what we do and the intensity of the moment and the responsibility makes us push through those insecurities. So that was, you know, that was, it's pretty incredible to see a group of powerful women, including, for example, Victoria Alonso, who is the executive vice president of production for Marvel Studios, like Marvel Studios, the big, big, big Burbank Studios. She's the executive vice president y es una compañera latina. And so to see other compañeras um, receiving this um, this recognition, it's very powerful because como de nuevo, o sea, siempre lo he dicho, en este momento, el trabajo que están haciendo ustedes, el trabajo que estamos haciendo nosotros, que es un trabajo nacional eh, con Futuro Media y Latino USA en The Thick, eh, es un trabajo bien importante en este momento histórico. This is no joke. There are young people who are going to be tuning in to this podcast and who are going to hear this, and they're going to hear Guy Garcia talking about being a staff writer for Time Magazine, and they're going to hear me talking about being a correspondent for CNN, and they're going to say, ¿Pero qué? Yo quiero hacer eso. Yo también quiero. Ahí Yo estamos. También quiero. Necesitamos héroes. That, héroes en español. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's why, precisely in this moment, when the messaging is so confusing to our young people, 
um, it's really important to have these outlets, whether it's your outlet, people in Espanol, you know, Latino USA. Um, and, I, and I just, I'm really thankful to be a part of the conversation. Mm. And part of uh, mentioning uh, Lisa, whose legacy is reverberating uh, to this day and will for many, many years, you know, both at Harvard at the Kennedy School and the Public Theater and uh, Hispanic Scholarship Fund and uh, NALIP, all of which have created uh, awards and ongoing, um, you know, fo uh, foundational initiatives to... Gai, uh, déjame decir a la audiencia yeah. que estamos hablando de Lisa García Quiroz, que era tu esposa, yeah, que hace yeah. hoy exactamente un año que no está con nosotros, yeah, I, y que I, ha I, sido I, un I, instrumento I, fundamental en cambiar esta narrativa, en hacer esta sí. evolución de las oh. mujeres y los hombres latinos en Lisa este país. Quiroz presente, Lisa Quiroz presente, oh my God, of course. Lisa García Guiros presente. No es por casualidad que estamos todos hablando sobre ella en este día en que cumple un año de haber este, pasado al otro lado. Ella está súper presente. Yo, yo la siento. And, um, Guy was lucky enough to be married to her. Yep. <laughs> like, yes, wow. Was. Yeah, yeah. One of the many amazing things she did was uh, she empowered voices of, of people of all races and backgrounds and and allowed them to find their voices and then had uh, the the power and the ability and and the vision to to amplify those voices so you know uh, it's a long list of people and you know Ryan Coogler was one of her um, you know mentees who went on to do pretty well uh, with Black Panther but You know that trajectory. I think I think we're reaching um, a place where, as as Maria was saying, uh, Latinos and people of of, of mixed uh, race and, and and cultures can start to see themselves in major in the mainstream again, or for the first time, um, they're part of the mainstream. And you know that was one of my books. So it's a there's a fruition happening in that and. Uh, I think it'll continue, and I think the stuff that Maria's doing, and um, you know, things like Marvel. You know, I wrote a, my last book was a science fiction book with a Latino protagonist, you know, who lives on the internet, and and those kinds of things have to keep happening because eventually, then our voices, the, the owning the narrative of how we're described and how we appear is uh, that's uh, to me the one of the most important fights uh, we have. Estos pasos son muy inter, uh, importantes y aquí tenemos a María, una de las pocas que, like you just said, María, you're the only one who is the head, female, you know, Latina head of a nonprofit news organization. And as many advances as there have been made, there's still a problem with um, top executives being in both news and entertainment media companies. And so I was hoping maybe you could both address that, especially with um, media mergers that are happening and they just don't seem to be helping. Look, I think that we are really going through a moment when um, um, it is a crisis of, of journalism, not, not, not of media. I'm being very specific. Um, we are having a crisis of journalism in the sense that um, – What is our role and responsibility? How do we do it? I think um, th this is also a time when there's been extraordinary journalism, like we've like we haven't seen in a long time, like kick-ass journalists who are just. And I count my team in that, you know, doing really strong investigative work and kind of being very dogged. 
but there are fewer journalists now. Um, there were about 500,000 journalists, more more or less, about uh, 30 years ago. There are about there are less than 100,000 journalists, working journalists now. So our profession is facing a real challenge, and I think part of what's happening is that it's very, very complicated because much of the mainstream journalism, of the mainstream media rather, is is essentially run, and we say this tenderly and, and knowing that many of these guys are our friends, but and Guy knows this, right? Like most of the people who are running and have the final say, like the arbiters of absolute editorial power, apart from business, end up being white men who come from a privileged class. Um, so the problem is, is that the world isn't, um, we don't all see the world through that perspective, right? We just don't. And so um, even our journalists right now, I like to say, and this is very, very challenging for me, um, that journalists of color and of conscience are, we are witnessing the canaries dying in the mind, and we are shouting out and saying, se están muriendo, los canarios se están muriendo, tienen que hacer algo, pongan atención, because, you know, rights are being violated, due process is being violated, children are being kept in cages, they're being ripped apart from their parents, and they're being trafficked around the country. So, um, but what we end up getting is a, most of a mainstream media that reports that story like, and today, 25 more children were taken from their, you know, were, were separated from their, I mean, this kind of scientific uh, remove. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, these are lives that we're talking about. And what we're trying to do, in, even in your work, like what you're trying to say is we're trying to humanize our lives. Because in the process of the stories about us, we have been dehumanized. We are called an illegal people. Creo que has tocado, has tocado un punto yeah. eh, eh, muy interesante. Y es, eh, si la gente que cuenta las noticias no están emocionados por esas noticias, ¿cómo van a contar esas noticias? Y yo sé que un periodista, cuando está eh, en, el borde, en la frontera con, con México y ve esos centros de detención, como los hemos visto, y ve a esa gente como es tratada en esas hieleras, y ve a esos niños que salen con pulmonía crónica después de estar tres días eh, pasando frío, hambre y sin ninguna atención, y ve a esa gente que tiene grilletes en el pie eh, con una presión que no sé ni cómo les puede circular la sangre eh, durante meses y meses y meses. Acabamos de recibir en directo la noticia mientras estamos aquí de nuestro amigo Edwin, al que le han quitado por fin el grillete después de nueve meses de, de, de agonía. Eh, cuando uno como periodista no va ahí a, a tomar parte, va a contar lo que ocurre e intenta ser lo más objetivo que puede, porque no se puede ser objetivo, pero por lo menos si estás emocionado dices, esto lo tiene que saber la gente, pero claro, si tú eres, como dices, un hombre blanco que te importa pero, tres pepinos segundo, lo que pasa en la frontera, es que, ¿qué coño vas a contar? Es, no, no, es que la idea de que uno tiene que ser objetivo cuando está entrando en un centro de detención donde hay niños inocentes que han sido... Eh, 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 ripped de los brazos de los papás. Y sí, separados totalmente. Es, sí. que, es que there is no... There, the objectivity... It's no, over. It's I, over. It, it, it's gone. O yeah. sea, no, I'm with you. And we've, and we've also... Sorry to interrupt, uh, interrupt mm-hmm. you, Guillermo Fesser and, and Maria. But we've seen this, this kind of language be, be used before in, in, your, in one of your talks, I think that you did for TEDx, Maria, you talked about the Japanese internment camps 
and the language the language that was used then to try to make it seem like they weren't in prison camps but you know so we're here so here we go again using this language to try to make try to make something more appealing than the reality actually is and what you guys do what you guys are getting because you're on the ground y lo que ustedes documentan es tan importante porque es documentar la historia de este país these are not latino stories your listeners el, el compañero que tenía el grillete. They, these are American stories. These are not Latino stories, Salvadoran stories, Mexican stories. No, estas son las historias de este país. Y ustedes en documentar esto son parte del documento de lo que estaba pasando en este año, que la gente inocente por ser inmigrante nada más, nada más les están poniendo grilletes, les están quitando sus hijos, eh, los están volando por aquí para allá, por todas partes. ¿Por qué? Porque, porque nada más porque no nacimos en este país. So, um, what, you, what we have to, what we are all attempting to do is to bring humanity to this conversation and no, not normalize the treatment of immigrants and, and, and then, of course, Latinos and Latinas as, as second-class human beings. And sadly... Um, You're right. This has been happened before. I don't even know what an internment camp is. Um, what, what is an internment camp? It's a prison. You're not able to leave. It, detention camps, detention centers. Eh, estos sitios son sitios horribles donde no hay, no hay este, ventanas. No pueden salir. Eh, y nosotros en Latino USA acabamos de sacar un reportaje que hicimos durante un año para entender cómo es que el abuso sexual sigue pasando día tras día, tras día, tras día, tras día, tras día, tras día en estos sitios y que no lo paran porque nuestras vidas no valen. So that, I go, in that moment, you know, I don't think I sound very objective, right? I sound like a passionate journalist because when, when human rights are being uh, uh, violated so directly and plainly, this thing of, well, we have to be objective is also a way of not understanding and not wanting to see exactly what's happening in front of us. People, And estamos, as journalists, the responsibility is to the truth. Correct. The opportunity for people to express themselves and, and the different forms of uh, and dimensions of uh, increasingly multidimensional identities, uh, whether it's mixed race or different cultures, or, or as, as Maria was talking about, overlapping identities that people mix and, and merge with. And that's, uh, I think we're starting to see some of that, you know, a Spider-Man that's black and Latino. Um, I think we need a, a lot more of that, a lot more of the, that uh, a reflection of the reality uh, of the country instead of, you know, again, a narrative that, uh, you know, uh, is trying to revive a 1950s myth that never really existed so you know that 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 package of goods gets sold uh to people every now and then we're in one of those periods um make america so, white again yeah it never really was i mean if you go back and uh, you'd have to go uh if you go back far enough then there were no white people at all you know i, I grew up in california and uh people would say you know do you think uh 
how do you feel about you know all the immigrants you know i, I was in los angeles you know and, and i'd say well I, I think the white people should stay you know um <laughs> <laughs> so that that's my perspective but i know there are a lot of other uh you know uh, uh, many other aspects and, and dimensions even though we try to um, hold back um you know the uh, the shrinkage of, of traditional media, which in uh, journalism, which is, uh, absolutely counts, and uh, Marie and I both, our roots are in that. But we ha- we have to be uh, uh, we have to encourage and continue to to fertilize and feed all these new versions of of, uh, of plat and platforms of identity and ex- and personal expression that young people are naturally born into. Bueno, y sobre todo es que la realidad os da la razón. Eh, yo llevo dos años, casi tres años, recorriendo colegios en muchos rincones de Estados Unidos con eh, el, un libro infantil que he publicado para Elementary School y la realidad de las aulas es la que es. Es decir, no hay nadie que tiene la cara parecida al de al lado. Es decir, cada uno es más diferente del de al lado. Hay alumnos de todos los colores, de todas las etnias, de todos los backgrounds... Por eh, todo el país. Por todo el país. Es decir, este país es un país multicultural. Se quiera quien no quiera negarlo, pero la realidad nos da la razón. Es decir, la gente de este país es como es y es de muchos colores. No es de, no es de, sí, uno, no es de sí. uno solo. Yeah, y siempre fue y, y va a ser en el futuro también. Thank you so much for joining us for another week's edition of Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Nos vamos. Adiós. Estamos la semana que viene. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Y, se- y seguirnos en Twitter o buscarnos en... En Radio, en Radio Kingston. En Radio Kingston. Bye, bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.